Hello, 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 and welcome. This is the Real Football Podcast. I'm your host, Lenny, aka Lenny G, and let's get into it. On today's episode, recapping some of the events, some of the games from this past weekend uh, in the Premier League. We had a big, big London derby. We had a big, big uh, Merseyside derby, as well as a massive game over in Italy, in Syria. A couple of easier games for, for some of the top six teams, um, but yeah, let's get into it. First things first, I'm going to start on the peninsula. Um, over in Serie A, there was a top-of-the-table clash. Milan up against Juventus. That's always a big one. Uh, I do have a soft spot for Juventus, as you may well know if you've known me for a while. If you have known my footballing preferences, I have a team in Italy. I don't have any teams anywhere else. I do like Dortmund, but they stay fucking up. So I haven't watched too much Bundesliga thus far this year. Although I do hear that Stuttgart, um, they have a goal-scoring machine right now. Um, I, I don't, I can't recall this guy's name, but he has something like 15 goals in nine games so far. Um, however, with the hurricane-led Bundesliga uh, Bayern Munich team, it's pretty much a wrap, and the guy doesn't stop scoring. Anyways, uh, Juve up against Milan. It was at the San Siro. This game was kind of. It's been a little bit of a running theme so far in this season. Uh, in the early exchanges, specifically in the Premier League, we see this in La Liga quite a lot, but a red card. Red card kind of messed with the flow of the game. Milan were dominant possession-wise. They were running the show a little bit. As you would expect, this Milan team, they do like to play with the ball. Uh, we saw that in the in the Milan derby up against Inter. They dominated the ball, but they still got smacked. Uh, this game, I wasn't expecting Juve to have a great a great game at all. Um, I was expecting Milan to pull through, especially since they were top of the table going into this game, uh, or at least going into uh, after the international break. And they had bounced back quite well um, after that shellacking that Inter gave them. Um, however... Tiao got a red card in the 40th minute, and from then onwards, it was kind of Juventus's game to lose. Even though Milan did eventually win the possession, they, well, not win the possession battle, but they had more possession in the game, something like 53 to 46, 47, something like that. Uh, however, Juventus did... They did eventually break the deadlock in the second half. Locatelli with a long-range strike. It, I believe it bounced off of one of the Milan defenders into the back of the net. A hectic deflection. Unfortunate. They end up losing the game. 1-0 uh, to Juventus. Juve get a big scalp. That's a big, big scalp. Because last season, they were not very good. Um, especially in the 2022 portion of the season. They did really find some good form um, later on in the season. They are, they do have, they joined top with the most clean sheets in Syria in the calendar year of 2023. So they have been making it happen. They have like 15 clean sheets. They're right there with Inzer and I believe Napoli. Um, and so they're, they're, doing really really well uh even though i haven't watched him too much this season i've watched more of inter more of uh, milan more of napoli so far i will watch them a little bit more but I, I don't think they're gonna have the staying power to really compete the only big advantage uh, i'll potential advantage is that these guys don't have Europe to deal with so their squad is not uh, blessed to the way Inter squad is they don't have world-class players um I don't think 
I don't think they have a single world-class player. I can't think of a world-class player in this Juventus squad right now. Whereas Inter have a couple world-class players, at least Nicolo Barella at, at the minimum, Lotaro Martinez, maybe. Uh, Milan do have um, Rafael Liao as well as Magnan, um, the keeper. Napoli, you could say they have um, Osimhen and Kravashkelia, but in, uh, Juventus, not really. I don't think they'll be in in it towards the end. I think they will probably have a they'll have a fight on for top four, but I don't think they're going to be making a title bid this season. Even though they went to one of the three favorite clubs to win the to win the Scudetto. Um, at the moment, it's quite uh, congested at the top. Napoli, I did say before the break, they ha- they were something like seven points behind. Right now, they're five points behind. They did win their game into one their game as well. I think they were away to Torino or something like that. They smacked that team. Um, and so Inter are top of the table at the moment. I expect a really exciting title race because ne- neither of these clubs are going to do what Napoli did last season. It doesn't look that, like that because Napoli just stomped a fucking mud hole in the rest of Italy last year. They don't look as good this year. Uh, and I don't think Inter, if if any of the teams, Inter probably look the best on paper. Like I said, I do think they will end up on top because they do have title winning experience in that club in that squad already they have gone to a Champions League final last season they did win the Coppa Italia last season so there is a winning mentality flowing throughout the club right now will they go the distance in Syria I think they will I think they'll beat out Napoli they'll beat out Milan they'll beat out uh, Juventus Lazio whoever the fuck uh but it is bound to be a very, very exciting um, title race in Italy. It's, it's been that way since the fall of the reign of terror of Juventus. Juventus is nine in a row. Since then, different title winner every single season. So I think this season is going to be the same. Uh, looking forward to the rest of the Serie A season. Now, moving on from italy and then we're gonna park it in the premier league and that's where we're gonna stay uh first things first i do want to mention sandro tonali so i am recording this midweek so it's not it's not a sunday or anything like that i'm recording this midweek which means that we have had news on the tonali uh ban how long he's going to be out for due to his betting scandal over uh during his time in italy it's looking like 10 months 10 months is the rest of the season and Probably he'll probably just get back just to start next season. Um, I don't know if it extends to internationals. It probably does. So he's gonna miss the Euros. Um, interesting stuff. Uh, that's a big blow for um for Newcastle. Although his ban does start from Thursday, so he should be able to play. I think he's gonna be able to play for Newcastle in the Champions League. He's going to be able to train with the team. That's what I've seen. Uh, so he won't be like completely out of it. It's not going to be a Mason Greenwood situation whereby he hasn't trained with the team for months and months and months. He'll be able to train with the team. However, he just can't play. So that's a big blow to Newcastle. He was their big um, signing for the season. Unfortunate for them, but hey, yo, this shit, man, like it's not something you can mitigate for. You can't plan for that. You can't be like, okay, yeah, our star summer signing is going to, you know, we, how, how do you how do you plan for that? You can't. You just have to roll with the fucking punches and keep it moving. And keep it moving we shall. 
just quick updates on the Manchester clubs. United went away to Sheffield and got a 2-1 win, um, courtesy of Diego Dallo and Mick Sauce. Three goals in two games. He's winning United points. He was one of those who the United fans are like, let's get this guy out of the club. Fair enough, because he's not the most talented footballer, but all the managers love him. Um, from Jose days right the way through, all of them love him, or Solskjaer, all of them. So he might be one of those guys where you just keep around, kind of like a Darren Fletcher situation, whereby if the starters are out, if the starters are a little bit... Um, little bit out of form you bring him in he can do something for you he's obviously showed his wealth in these past he's worth in the past couple of games they roll on they roll on they made it difficult they're making it difficult but they are getting a few results getting a little bit of confidence however they yeah, they, they haven't found their stride at all this season so far. So they've been a couple of weaker teams in difficult situations. They, they had to come back from nowhere against Brentford. They had to uh, struggle a little bit to beat the Sheffield team. And Sheffield are the worst team in the league so far. Uh, it's it's going to be a little while longer before we can see great United play. If we're ever going to see it under Eric Ten Hag, they do have Manchester City in the Manchester Derby coming up this weekend. That's going to be really interesting. They did get a win in the Champions League over uh, FC Copenhagen, I believe, um, courtesy of a last-minute penalty save from Onana. So that should be a great confidence boost for him. City could just tear down any goodwill that they're growing at the moment. Interesting. Um, on to City, they did play against Brighton. I did say Brighton are one of the best footballing sides in in Europe. Uh, they play high-quality football, but at the moment they're in really poor form and they can't keep anything out. So they... They did end up losing the game 2-1 to City, um, City courtesy of Julian Alvarez and Erling Haaland early in the in the first half, in the first half of the first half. They scored two goals to really give City that cushion. Ansu Fati did pull one back in the second half and City got a red card. City got a red card towards the end, um, I believe it was a kanji. And this kind of brings up something that I've been noticing in the Premier League this season. Every single match day, there is a red card. And not just a red card. A lot of the time, there are multiple red cards per match day. This is strange. I look back, um, and forgive me if if this is incorrect. However, out of nine match days that there's been in the Premier League so far, only one of them had no red cards. Multiple match days had multiple red cards. Um, I mean, the Liverpool game, we were down to nine men at Spurs a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this officiating situation, I don't know what the story is. I know they review it throughout the season, so we're not just going to sit with this sort of um, refereeing kind of dilemma sort of thing but the number of red cards is ridiculous I don't think there's been this number of red cards for a couple seasons just off the top of my head I don't recall a season in recent memory and recent memory being my footballing um, knowledge my 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 memory I don't remember a season like this where week in week out teams are getting red cards everywhere you look especially this early in the season that that seems to be quite a rarity 
But this, yeah, this it might just be an outlier kind of season. It could be one of those. It could be a new precedent that the officials are setting and teams, players just need to adjust to it. But it's really weird. Um, I mean, Liverpool, we've had more red cards this season already than we've had in probably the past two, maybe even three seasons combined. City also getting a couple of red cards. I mean, Rodri got that red card that one time. Akanji just got a red card. I think they've had something like two or three red cards already this season. And if this continues, it's going to start hurting teams left, right, and center. And so I don't know what, it's kind of like a, a market forces kind of situation, supply and demand. You need to find that equilibrium and the players are going to have to adjust if the refs are consistently giving out yellows the way that they have been. Difficult situation. Once you keep an eye on, it might end up start costing teams points at a certain point, obviously, we'll wait and see. Uh, on to, I did mention there were two big derbies that I watched this weekend. Uh, Arsenal versus Chelsea. This had uh, top of the table and mid-table ramifications. Uh, this game, everyone and their grandma was saying that Arsenal are going to smack. Uh, they're going to wipe the floor with Chelsea. Chelsea have been poor. However, more recently, and I did mention recently that they have started to pull things together a little bit. They have started to get a few results here and there, score a few goals. That was Chelsea's biggest problem is that they couldn't score goals. Um, last season, they had one of the worst uh, goal returns that you would ever see from a Chelsea side. Just awful 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 stuff they were scoring the same number of goals as relegation candidates so if they can improve on that and stabilize their defense which is basically 75 percent of what you need um to be a good team then obviously they'll they'll be back in the hunt for european places in this game I can't okay they didn't really sort their defense however they defended really well in this game I cannot lie most of the game they defended extremely well they were intense um this is what I don't think we've seen a Chelsea performance like this since the first day of the season when Liverpool were at Stamford Bridge they were intense they had great intensity about them they defended compactly and when things started to fall their way, they took their opportunities. Uh, so Arsenal really struggled to create chances for, I mean, most of this game. I would, I want to say they created one really good opportunity. That's it, that they created. Um, sometimes opportunities, they fall to you, like the gifts just fall from the sky sometimes, and I'll get into that. And other times you, you have to create, you have to pass, move, so on and so forth, a little dribble, blah, blah, blah. And you create your own luck. You create your own opportunities. Arsenal basically created one opportunity, one good opportunity in this game. They might have created two, but I remember one really good one. Uh, and one thing I will say, though, is that this Enzo Fernandez is fantastic. Uh, and he had a great game um, playing, well, essentially defeating Arsenal's press, which... It happened quite a few times. Chelsea did have a lot of great opportunities. He stood out for me, Enzo Fernandez and Cole Palmer. 
the lad who they bought from Manchester City for a lot of money for a kid who had, who didn't really play. I don't think he started any Premier League games for City or he might have started one or two. He, he's not super experienced. We've heard about him quite a bit. Uh, he's young, obviously, and he, it's one of those where he, he could be a... The same as Kevin De Bruyne and Mohamed Salah were for Chelsea, whereby they just couldn't get game time. He could be one of those uh, for Manchester City, whereby he moves to another club and he starts to get game time and he starts to show that how re- how talented he is and so on and so forth. Blah, blah, blah. He finds a home and becomes that guy. He essentially is... He's started really well for Chelsea so far. Uh, he... He was threatening quite a bit. He was quite threatening. I know on the counter-attack, Chelsea looked quite dangerous with Raheem Sterling breaking forward into space, Cole Palmer manipulating the space, and so on and so forth. Uh, I know Malo Gusto had a really good opportunity as well, Um, even though he's like a winger, not a winger, but like a wing-back, kind of full-back sort of player. Um. About halfway through the first half, uh, Chelsea got a penalty, uh, a tough one. Uh, it was a Saliba handball. Difficult, difficult, difficult. It's one of those where if the ref calls it, it's a penalty. Like it, it's, I think it was quite harsh. I believe they P A P G M O L. Um, those those ref guys, they had they came out with a statement saying that hey the they might have fucked that one up. Uh, but yeah, anyways, Cole Palmer steps up to put it home. 1-0 to them. He had a really good opportunity right after that. Difficult opportunity, actually. It wasn't like a, a clear-cut opportunity, but it shows that he's he's really he's up for it. He's he's going to take this opportunity um, with this, by the scruff of its neck, um, this Chelsea opportunity. Um, so Chelsea going to the, into the first half 1-0 up. Um, everything was looking really good for them. It stifled Arsenal. Uh, into the second half, a fluke Mudrik uh, cross. He, if you watch the replay, he's not he's not even looking at the goalkeeper. He's looking to cross. He completely mishits it. One of those freak goals. Uh, and it just loops over Raya, who didn't have a good game at all. Raya, oh, Raya looked really poor playing out from the back. And that's an essential component of that Arsenal system. Uh, playing out from the back and yeah and Mudrik scored that goal boom 2-0 up to Chelsea and then uh, essentially from nowhere Chelsea fuck up Uh, I believe uh, yeah Chelsea completely fuck up and Declan Rice gets the ball and boom he hits it in first time I believe Chelsea were playing out from the back or something like that and he completely messed it up and Chelsea play you know, Chelsea lose the ball. Declan Rice pounces from way out. Keeper was off his line. Boom. This this just beautiful opportunity, beautiful finish into the corner of the net. 2-1. And Arsenal have a lifeline in a game where they, they haven't created anything. And I just want to stop and take take a take note of this guy. Declan Rice, I've been saying from my season predictions, from everything, he's gonna be the difference. And he's showing that. He showed that 
right the way through. He showed that in the United game, big game. He steps up to score the goal to essentially win the game in the 90-somethingth minute. In the Man City game, he and William Saliba really showed, uh, or, or they were the, the bedrock on which Arsenal got a clean sheet up against Man City and beat them for the first time in the league in eight years. And he steps up here to score a goal. He could have easily missed this opportunity. Let's not play games. A less technically gifted footballer misses that. And Arsenal go on to lose the game. Um, he gives Arsenal a lifeline here. Just showing that not every big purchase is not worth it. This guy, he's been worth it so far. He's been worth a hundred plus million euro transfer fee. He... Uh, if anything, he's, you know how in certain teams, in certain title-winning teams, in certain great teams, you need more than one captain on the pitch. And I know Odegaard is the captain, but having a guy like Declan Rice there who did captain West Ham before, having a leader like that, he's the exact kind of character, exact kind of player that you need in your team to go on and beat a Man City in this title race. He and Jude Bellingham, obviously, uh, I've been waxing lyrical about Jude Bellingham. I did say he's the best player in the world so far this season. He is continuing in that vein. Declan Rice and Jude Bellingham, along with a James Madison or a Phil Foden, Harry Kane up top, oh me oh my that England team have to win something with these guys they have to win something it looks like a a golden generation 2.0 kind of thing situation Kyle Saka as well jeez jeez what a team does England England have so much talent at the moment Declan Rice and Jude Bellingham that's probably the best midfield pairing you could possibly get in world football right now uh and aside from that uh I did say Arsenal Got a lifeline thanks to Declan Rice there. Um, Bukayo Saka sends in an absolute peach uh, of a ball to Trossard. He pops up at the back post. He puts the ball into the back of the net. Arsenal have come back. And they scored this goal maybe five to ten minutes after Declan Rice's goal. Sets up a grandstand finish. No team scored after that. It f- finished 2-2. Great game. Great watch. Um kind of difficult you want to look at this and be like oh no uh arsenal dropped points however they went to stanford bridge it was a difficult game um up against a, a, a rival a derby game and if you look on the face of it they played man city and chelsea and they got four points from it that's not that's not the worst that's not the worst um situation that you could possibly get i think they should be happy with that and City haven't pulled away. The only issue for them right now is that is that Spurs are top of the league. But you know what? You can live with that. They they will be able to impact Spurs later on this in the season. Spurs are Spurs are Spurs. They will fuck up eventually. Eventually. And now on to my beloved, beloved Liverpool. We did have a local derby. We started in the early kickoff. This is a really strange phenomenon that's taking the online Liverpool fandom by storm. Not necessarily by storm, but it's a little bit of a conspiracy theory running at the moment. But if you look at all the games, um, all the teams that have played in the game right after the the early game on the Saturday, right after the international break. During the club tenure, we have more than double the next most teams. So Liverpool plays 
all the time in that, uh, I believe, English time, 12.30 kickoff, uh, 12.30 p.m. kickoff, almost all the time, which is, it's a little bit ridiculous. It doesn't make sense. Why are we playing in that slot all the time? It also gives a little bit of a disadvantage when you're thinking about, okay, a lot of players are, you know, coming from South America, from Africa, from Asia, they're coming back and they're not getting those extra two, three, four hours that other teams are getting consistently. It's a strange one. I'm I'm not one for conspiracy theories, so I'm just going to let that slide. However, I believe it is worth the mention. In any case, we went into the Merseyside derby. I never take this game for granted. Never, ever, ever take this game for granted. Luckily, I was able to catch this game. And Everton were quite solid, defensively solid, as you would expect. Um, they only pushed forward when they could, as you would expect. They created essentially zero chances in this game. Um, and for good reason. Reason being is that Ashley Young was on toast. Uh, Luis Diaz had him by... <laughs> uh, had him on toast all game. He sent him to the shops a couple of times. He absolutely tormented uh, Ashley Young, who is he's an old man at this point. He doesn't want to be dealing with the pace and trickery and guile of a Luis Diaz. It's just not. He, he doesn't want to have to deal with that shit anymore. And as such, he made a, two really rash um, tackles. And he got his first yellow, and then not about 15, 16, 17 minutes later, he got his second, and that was that. He was gone. Everton went down to 10 men in about the 37th minute, and the result was essentially inevitable at that point. Because um, Everton are not a good side with 11 men. They're, they, they just weren't going to be able to withstand the pressure at Anfield with 10 men. Like It just wasn't going to happen. So it is essentially a matter of time. That being said, we didn't create any really create any good opportunities in this one, and you can kind of you can kind of pin it on the fact that it was the first game. Like, oh man, that twelve thirty kickoff, that early morning kickoff, guys like McAllister and Darwin Nunez running around in South America, having to come back. Same story with Allison. Same story with Salah having to play in Egypt, in Africa. It. <sighs> It's difficult. It's really, really difficult for these guys to come back and be fit and firing immediately. Uh, that being said, though, and I've been waxing lyrical about Sobosly. I've been talking about Sobosly so much. He didn't necessarily stand out in this one. It was Ryan Gravenberch. Gravenberch in the first half looked unplayable. I was like, geez, who's this guy? He looked unpressable. His passing was pretty good his uh shielding of the ball his ball retention was excellent he looked really really good he's looking very comfortable in that midfield on the right on the left hand side there uh with curtis jones out obviously for the suspension um yeah red cards uh so he really impressed me in this first half uh on the other side of that coin Salah didn't look very good for me. He didn't look very good for me at all, which is quite interesting because he ends the game with two goals. And how that came to be was that there was a pretty blatant handball. Uh, I believe we had uh, we had two penalty shots within about five minutes of each other. Luis Diaz got tackled. 
it's that's one of those whereby if the ref calls it in real time, it's always going to be a penalty. If he doesn't call it in real time, they're not going to overturn it. One of those, there's just that that area there, in terms of the the VAR slash referee decision making, whereby a lot of a lot of calls go into that into that category. Whereby if you look at the replay, you're like, it's obvious his contact, he goes down. But if the ref doesn't call it, they're not going to go against the ref. It just is what it is. However, about three, four minutes later, I believe it was Michael Keane, just the most blatant handball that you could possibly see. His arm is way out from his body. It touches his arm. The ref doesn't call it in real time. The VAR is like, hey, yo, go take a look. He takes a look. Penalty. Salah steps forward at the cop end. He scores. Boom, boom, boom. We've seen the story before. Not too long after that, uh, we do get uh, essentially a carbon copy of the goal Salah scored against Everton last season at Anfield. Darwin Nunes breaking forward. An excellent counter from him. Essentially from, I believe it was a corner. Our corner, we defended the corner. We get the ball forward. We find Darwin Nunes. Darwin Nunes with his blistering pace. He controls the ball nicely. He slips it through to Salah in a two-on-one situation against the last defender. Boom, Salah slots it home in, that might have been the 90th minute, 91st minute, nine uh, icing on the cake. Game over 2-0. Salah ends the game with two goals. Darwin Nunes has eight assists in the Premier League. Every single one of them is to Mohamed Salah. Interesting, they that connection, that partnership that they've been growing is fantastic. They have a very good understanding between those two. And Salah just keeps scoring. He keeps getting goals. He keeps getting numbers. Right now, he has seven goals in the Premier League season, season and four assists. He has 31 goal contributions on the year in the 2023. He has 31 goal contributions, I believe, 19 Premier League goals and 12 assists. Dude's an absolute legend. He's, he's a numbers machine. Just world-class world class uh, one of the all time greats for Liverpool uh, I say it basically every single episode and it's so damn true uh, that ladies and gentlemen kind of wraps up the episode there is midweek action I am going to do an episode on the Champions League and Europa League yes ha 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 Liverpool and the Europa League I don't give a fuck I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak about it and there's a massive game like I said on the weekend Manchester Derby. Can United lay a glove on the City team who, let's be real, they're, they're wounded right now or will Erling Haaland tear United a new one like he did last year? Remember, he scored a hat-trick against them and they lost 6-3 at the Etihad. I don't know where this game is. However, uh, I would be having nightmares about that. Yes, I am going to be stressing when we play City at the Etihad as well. However, we beat them at Anfield. I don't think United beat them at Old Trafford last season. Uh, and yeah, that pretty much wraps it up, ladies and gentlemen, days and thems. I hope you have a magnificent day whenever this podcast reaches your ears. And take care. <laughs>